0: As I mentioned in my Faith Matters blog on Friday, in my work, I am privy to crucial moments in people's lives. Births, baptisms, weddings, various life events, and of course, death. I have always considered this a very great privilege an honor, really. You know, it has kept me close to the things that matter most, close to a wide arc of human experience. And as I mentioned, I was speaking with someone whose good friend was in the final stage of an advanced cancer. My acquaintance had been emotionally attentive and caring. A reflective person, she said that her friend's premature end was causing her to think about her own life. And it occurred to her that if she herself were to die today, that she could honestly say she had, in her words, taken care of business. That is, She had addressed and accomplished much of the personal, emotional, and relational work that had been presented to her during her lifetime thus far. Not perfectly, she added, but sufficiently. I said that must give her a great sense of peace. She said, the awareness came as a little gift in the midst of her grief over her friend. We sat quietly for a while. Afterwards I began my own inner reflection wondering how sufficiently I had taken care of business. And in the deafening silence I realized that this was actually a very mature perspective about life. She had recognized something of very great importance that many will miss as they blunder forward into the days of their lives. I concluded my Faith Matters reflection by observing that healthy religion arises between the dynamic poles of being born and having to die, and living well in the meantime requires taking care of the business that is uniquely ours to accomplish in the limited days we've been given. Which is all well and good, but given the brevity of the piece, there were things I left out of the short story. For instance, I did not tell you that my acquaintance was an only child from a dysfunctional family where she never received the nurturing love we all crave as children due to absent and damaged highly narcissistic parents. You know, the love that convinces us of our essential worth and belovedness. Children who don't have that have a lot of work to do in front of them. Nevertheless, as she grew into her adulthood, she had been captured by a divine lure that brought her into relationship with a loving God, and along with this came relationships in which she was able to practice the kind of love she had not received from her own family. But that she now understood was part of creation itself. This didn't necessarily come easily, but her commitment to the practice of love ultimately allowed her to see things in a fresh way, to experience life as a gift that came with an obligation to treat it and the lives of all others with compassionate respect. Her life could have gone differently than it has. She doesn't readily speak of it like this, but I observe that faith saved her. That is, faith gave her a place to belong to herself and to others and to God. And it was faith that revealed to her the importance of taking care of the business that is uniquely ours to accomplish in the limited days we've been given. Like I said, I've always found my work with people a very great privilege since I end up having conversations and relationships involving things that actually matter profoundly. And among the things that matter a whole lot is this matter of faith. This past week, while looking for something else, an old tattered volume fell out of my bookshelf entitled The Meaning of Faith, written by Harry Emerson Fosdick in 1917. Fosdick was the favorite of John D. Rockefeller, who built the Riverside Church on the Upper West Side in the same era, roughly, that Christ Church would eventually be planted on this corner. It was the day of the high profile learned preacher, the day when New York City Papers published front-page articles on Monday summarizing the content of one of the Big steeple stars from Sunday. Hard to imagine that today. Here's how he began. A book on faith has been for years my hope and intention And now it comes to final form during the most terrific war men ever waged, when faith is sorely tried and deeply needed. Since the conflict had to come, I am glad for this book's sake that it was not written until it had Europe's Holocaust for a background. Given the copyright, the war he's referencing is the First World War, one he will later call the Great War, (laughs) The war that was thought to end all wars. And the Holocaust he mentions predates the devastation of the Jews in the Second World War, which came several decades later capturing forever the meaning of that word. The war was Fosdick's present circumstance, stirring him to consider the meaning of faith that, as he said, is sorely tried and deeply needed. We're a more diverse audience today than he had, but this matter of faith remains core to human necessity. We still yearn for that robust connection to something larger than ourselves that reliably organizes and empowers our lives, something we still call faith. If I were to write a New volume on the meaning of faith today, the human struggle with hardship would still figure prominently. Even a brief engagement with the Bible reveals that human hardship and struggle frames it out, frames the human cycle of birth and death. It's the anvil upon which faith is actually forged for each one of us. So, it's not surprising that As you heard, Paul, writing from imprisonment to Timothy, should mention that he remembers Timothy's tears. It's an important thing to make note of. He remembers Timothy's tears as he also fortifies Timothy's faith. Timothy, my beloved child. There it is again, that beloved childness that we all desperately want. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your fears and tears. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Rekindle the gift of God that is within you, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love. Sprung from the fragile human condition, Tears express the universal human yearning we all have for a place to belong to ourselves, to others, and to God. Have you had those tears? It's no wonder that Jesus' friends exclaim, Lord, increase our faith. Fosdick put it this way, Don't we hunger for the confidence that someone cares about our race in its conflicts and defeats? Don't we hunger for an intimate friend, a divine ally, who, in the midst of the world's darkness and our own, assures us that life is not chance and chaos, but rooted in a great design? And don't we yearn for the gift to live our lives with confidence and joy, no matter what, capable of true grace and real love? Friends, I tell you that I have felt these needs vibrating in my heart and soul my whole life. God, if you're out there or in here, increase my faith. And I'm guessing that you have shared this experience in some form or another. So this is where you help me write this sermon. This is where you insert your own story, your bit of the larger human drama, the part that matters deeply and desperately to you. Bring your story, your heartache, your struggle, your concern, your faltering steps at love and forgiveness and courage and integrity. Bring that to mind. And then consider the business that is uniquely yours to accomplish in the limited days you've got remaining. Maybe you've never said these words out loud. Lord, increase my faith. I tell you it's an important prayer. The disciples will give us permission to say it insistently. It reflects the deep hunger that wells up from within. You may feel that hunger now, Or perhaps you will on your way home, or when you wake up tomorrow morning, or the day after that. And I tell you, it is an honest hunger. I say, let it come. Feel your stomach rumble for real food. Feel your need. Own it. Lord, increase my faith. And Jesus says, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Ironically, it would seem that by asking their question, the disciples reveal they already have faith the size of a grain of mustard. They think that's their problem. What they have is too small. Jesus says that the faith they have is already the faith they need. A tiny bit in the hands of God is the same thing as a whole lot. It's a very hopeful word. Locked within the confines of an impossibly small and dead-looking thing lays the potential for abundant, triumphant life, like a kind of cosmic spiritual genetics embedded within the tiny speck of our embryonic faith is the complete code of everything we might become as we nourish ourselves from God's bounty. And on this point, it does not matter who we are. Age, life circumstance, gender, race, favorite sins. At this most basic level, we are all alike. The biblical drama could use each of us for its source material. We are the last act currently being written. The biblical story continues with us, as it were, as the latest testament to faith. Our tears could express the biblical lament, our bit of faith, Our fledgling courage and faltering love could be the seeds that Jesus nurtures into transformed life. We are now the stumbling, bumbling disciples who learn about the things that matter most the hard way. Friends, there is no other way. If you haven't learned it already, there is no other way other than the hard way. That's how it goes down. But we are not confounded by that. But rather in it we find our blessing and the germ of faith that will blossom and grow and empower us to live triumphantly in life no matter what. If you argue with God that it should be easier, argue instead to increase your faith. That's really the point of all of this, friends. (laughs) That's why we come here, isn't it? Isn't that why we come to this reunion table month after month? To feed our souls on rich food that will sate the deepest hunger. Not the passing hungers, the deepest hunger. And imagine, it's open to everyone who will come. Anyone, everyone can be fed. What a glory that is.